you are muted. Yes, now I'm not. You're not anymore. Oh, look at your cool microphone, that fuzzy thing. Normally it's um, out of the shot. Yeah. yeah. You have two microphones? I do. I'm impressed. Well, I just, I'm always worried something's gonna fail. <laughs> <laughs> I'm never worried because Kevin does all that worrying. I have See, more than enough. When, when you don't have a Kevin, you have multiple microphones and all the things. All the things. Kevin, you need to move her. Remember, all you have to do is drag it. I have to drag you up here. Yeah. Oh, good. You just, and then I have to go up there. There, you go. there we go. We're playing video screen Tetris. Yeah, because you have to be on top. Otherwise, like, it looks weird. Okay. So we have a new shirt. I have to do, I have to show off. Show. So Kevin had these made for the clinic. They're stitched. Nice. The stitching. But then this is the cool part. Can you see the back? Well, the podcaster people are listening, so I'm going to do a verbal description. So Dr. McMakin, as you can see, is wearing this very nice blue you need cotton to blend <laughs> with uh, multiple colors stitched in. FSM is in our FSM blue, and there's like a limey, greeny, yellowy S and a purpley M with our Dr. McMakin's waveform in red underneath. But look at the back. The back says there is hope here. <gasps> so nice. Isn't that cool? Very well done. Yeah. I'm, which leads us into today's topic if we're ready to do that. We have a couple different topics today. Imagine my surprise. I'm going to have to put my foot down because otherwise you're going to take the train. You're going to take it everywhere. So okay. um, you drive the train. Well, you know, I, it just seems like I'm the conductor. You actually just, um, we'll start, we'll start with your stuff, but you had texted me just now something very near and dear to my heart that I am not going to be able to shut up about because I could do hours on this topic. Um, so we'll start with your stuff and then we'll get into it because I actually have a bunch of information, really cool information to back up what we're going to talk about, like studies and data stuff. Slight. And we're talking about math. We are talking about meth, not methamphetamines, folks. Settle down. This is capital M, capital E, capital T, capital H. That's right. So coming through the airport from where Poland. were we? You were in Poland, I think. Or no, 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 Philadelphia. Italy. Philadelphia. Oh, just recently. Yes. Oh, yeah. Coming through the airport, um, I was uh, hauling my briefcase and got it behind me and I was in wheelchairs for various reasons and I'm I'm hauling it behind me and that night my arm got really really sore and I I couldn't lift it without you know lifting it with my left arm and um I went oh this is bad so I get home Monday night and Monday afternoon and ordered an MRI for Tuesday and got the results back. And based on the ranges of motion that hurt, I knew which tendons were strained. And the nice lady at the MRI place said, have you had physical therapy or um, um, have you had PT or something else? And I said, are you kidding? I'm not going to let anybody touch the shoulder until I find out if there's a complete tear or if it's partial and what I did to the labrum because it anyway. So I sent you the MRI report and basically I have partial thickness tears in every single, every, every shoulder muscle. And there are some of the bursas that have an opinion and some of the periosteum has been, it, it's not good. So I, mon, Monday night, I programmed my custom care for torn and broken of the round tendons because I knew the supraspinatus was nasty. And then everything else is flat. And the biceps was really obnoxious because I could not lift my arm forward. So 
remembering mass movement elevation. The nice thing with the shoulders, it's automatically elevated. And T is traction. And H is heat, which I thought would feel really good, but I didn't do any heat until like last night um, when I just moved my heating pad over. So I've been running this with sticky pads. Uh, it's a two hour program and I run it and I can tell it's time to run it again when the pain comes back. Um, pain level varies between a four and a seven. Um, two Advil in the morning and I haven't taken Advil since 2006. And um, I just want to do show and tell because this is what meth does. I should not. And then my supraspinatus, you don't want to know about what the MRI says, but according to the MRI, that this is not possible. And then there's that. Can you see? We can see. My hand. So I have the only, oh, and this is better. Yeah, earlier today, this really hurt. So um, you have to have a conversation with that muscle, but I just keep running it. And there's, give. if you read the, you did, you read the MRI report and none of what I just did is possible. Cannot be done with there it we're we're three days post and yeah so go okay you might just fasten your seat belts and bear with me because a lot of people listening are this whole conversation is going to make them uncomfortable because ice has been the gold standard go to first line of treatment for any kind of injury forever, right? We used to say, you know, rice, right? That was rest, ice, compression, elevation. Okay. So we're still loving elevation because duh, we want to take inflammation away from the site. So far, our misbrained, anything above the level of the heart's going to bring that blood flow down. The ice, the rest component we're getting rid of also because rest means immobilization. We've gotten away from that for 20, 30 years. So and could I put in the fact, the fact that it never worked didn't seem to bother anybody until about five years ago. Right. Thank you. Well, so it's funny. So the, the term rice came from a gentleman by the name of Gabe Merkin. And he coined this term in the 70s. So that tells you how long ago this was. Um, and even he himself has gotten away from using ice and is now on this using like heat in clinical settings. Now, I know you think heat is going to make inflammation worse and it doesn't, especially when you are icing the right areas. So when you are I mean, when you're heating up the right areas. So when you have a muscle or connective tissue that has an injury and you need inflammation. Okay. I'm going to talk about this in a recovery setting just in just a minute. You need that initial pro-inflammatory response within measure because it is bringing the important line of defense that's going to come clean it up and take it away. So there are two newly published papers, one in the Journal of Applied Physiology, the other in the Journal of Strength and Conditioning, proving using getting away from using ice is helping recovery. So that I'm going to keep talking until you shut up and just put me on mute, just so I'm just saying. So the... I'm just going to say that heat causes vasodilation and that causes increased circulation. And in the circulation, all these wonderful little white blood cells that do their little munchy cleany thing and uh, oxygen, oxygen is good. Yes. So I'm going to actually, I just have to, um, I had to write down notes because as soon as you said that you, you were going to, we want to talk about math. I 
kind of went crazy in that. How did you look up these papers that fast? I didn't have to look them up because I cited them on the talk that I gave at the advanced. Um, oh, I, cool. you know, you, you make me do this hacks talk every two years. And so uh-huh. the 2022 hacks talk was about using, um, getting away from using ice baths because that seems to be one of the favorite go-tos in um, professional locker rooms. All my triathletes love it. Um, and it's a, it's a, it's terrible. So the journal of, um, applied physiology, um, it was in 2021. So a very, very new, cool study had mice and it, I, I called it ice, the mice. So they had, let me just see how many mice there were. I believe there were 30, no, like there's rodents. 40 mice, like real rodents, mice, like real legit mice. Real yes. Okay. Um, so we used 40 of them. Hang on. Let me just, um, exit this full screen so I can see it. No exit the full screen. Anyways, they use these 40 mice and they gave them stim. Um, and that's great. Stim is wonderful. So they stimmed their legs and then they took half of them and they iced them. They iced the mice. I don't know how you put little, I, I had, this, had this little vision of like little ice cubes on these poor little mice. And um, I take the top part of the mice and you dunk them into a, you know, a glass of iced tea or something. Something like that. Right. So they had, they iced half of these mice and then they did um, nothing and use a little bit of heat to the other half of the mice. And they did samples every, I think every 24 hours, they, they did um, inflammatory samples. So as you would imagine, the iced mice had very low inflammation right after they were iced. However, on day three, they were not recovering as fast as the mice that did not receive the heat or that did not receive the ice that were left alone or had a little bit of heat applied to them. Why? Like you just said, after you have especially activity or even with um, hypertrophic uh, changes. So when you're bodybuilding and those muscle fibers are tearing apart and rebuilding to get bigger, you need a certain level of inflammation that's going to come in, build it, have those little munchy things, and then get it going in circulation again. Using heat can really help that. And you can even use heat away from a joint. So I know there's still some people that are listening, rolling their eyes, going, okay, this is crazy stuff. You might not want to heat up a joint, but you can heat up a muscle belly away from the joint because the same thing is going to happen. The inflammation is going to chase the heat and draw it out of the joint. Yes. Hand is up. Go. Okay. So here's the other piece of it. None of the program that I am running is 40. Right. The whole program is 124. Right. Broken. So every, every cell has genes that can turn on and create inflammation, but they turn on and create inflammation when the cell or the tissue is injured, right. especially tendons. So Diana Cross's presentation from 13, 15, 15 or 17, 17 probably, on tendinopathies, which is what I have in this shoulder, um, the, when the tenocyte cell, when the cell body detects that there are tears in the tendon that can't be repaired in 24 hours, that's why my shoulder didn't hurt Monday night when I came home, but by Tuesday morning, I was a mess. Um, and when it senses that there's injury, the cell starts to express the genes that release inflammatory cytokine substance P and CGRP, which are all peptides that produce pain and inflammation. So my shoulder is not inflamed, it's torn and broken. And you could reduce inflammation all you wanted, and it's not going to re- repair any faster. Right. So it's torn or broken in our world. Right. And when you can, oh. and when you add ice to an area, you, again, you, you, you just said it, you need 
rich blood flow to come in and help heal the torn and broken. Well, you need to get the inflammation stuff out of your mind. I do want to mention two books for people who don't believe me. They'll probably believe you before me, but there is some cool data besides those two studies. You can just Google those. Um, the man who coined the term meth, he's a Canadian. So I love him just because of that. His name is John Paul. And I always butcher his last name. It's, um, Catanzaro or Catanzaro, C-A-T-A-N-Z-A-R-O. He coined the term meth, um, movement, elevation, traction, and heat. He has a lot of very cool data. Um, I believe he, he named it that after reading a book by the name of, um, don't ice that ankle sprain written by Dick Hartzell. That also is chock full of amazing, um, data on just how bad ice can be for an, an area. And then the last but not least, um, a book called Iced, The Illusionary Treatment Option by Gary Raynal. These are great titles. Yeah, right. Um, so these guys have had some amazing, um, they're the pioneers on, you know, meth or using heat and movement. I think we can all agree we're definitely casting and splinting far less than we ever used to. I mean, we do need a little bit of a mobilization here and there, but the data has been the proof has been in the pudding for the last 20 years that we need movement um, to heal. And why do we need movement to heal? Because again, it brings blood flow and circulation. And this is why I love the hypoxia frequency, because it can go in and really help change the game on that tissue that has been scarred and it hasn't moved and it's not getting the blood flow that it needs. So, well, and there's data going back, I think, I want to say it's the 70s, 80s, because it was before I even went back to school. If you take a perfectly normal bunny rabbit, sorry, and perfectly normal bunny rabbit leg, and you put it in a cast so that it doesn't move, in four weeks, that joint will have arthritis joints have to move and so that part of the core where we talk about where do bone spurs come from bone spurs come from tight muscles why are the muscles tight well because the joints inflamed or there's a disc bulge and the muscles pull really the muscles get really tight to immobilize the joint because that's what the cerebellum tells them to do and when the muscles are really tight, they pull on the periosteum and the periosteum says, oh my God, we should calcify this. And so you have a bone spur. The bone spur is not the problem. In this, in this MRI, there's a bone spur here. Well, duh, this is, a, the muscle's been tight for a really long time because my left arm was broken in six places and my right arm's been doing all the lifting and the work. And as soon as we get it fixed, it's gonna go back to doing that. It does that, that's not possible. Anyway, um, so movement in a pain-free range. Right. Go. We're just kind of, this reminds me of like, when my kids used to make snowman in, in Canada and we're just kind of rolling this ball around and around and around you really just hit the nail on the head movement in a pain-free range, because if you have an athlete that blows through the stop signs, because they just have to get that movement because they have to get the ball or the puck, they're going to do the movement. Your patients are going to do the movement, especially that type that doesn't have the time to deal with an injury. So this is not just athletes. These are moms. These are CEOs that can't take a day off. These are police officers and firefighters and all those people. When you're blowing through the stop signs and the muscle that causes pain is in pain and it's going to shut down, what's going to happen? Three other muscles are going to chime in and then you're getting this whole compensatory. Or even injury. worse, even worse than the patients that do it to themselves. Are the, are the, no offense to the good physical therapists out there, are the physical therapists that says, oh yes, you have to do that movement to that range with that weight, even if it hurts. 
See, I wasn't even ready to go in that direction. I well, it you know, wait till you're 70 and then the mouth just like takes off. So eventually this is going to segue to that other condition we were talking about before we get off on this, but right. we're not finished. You keep talking. Your brain's yeah. going to explode if you don't get this all out. No, most of it, most of it is out, but I think, beca- and because we are, I think getting better and better all the time at having people do critical thinking, this should make sense. It should make sense to apply heat and improve circulation and pliability. These are all words that we have frequencies for also. Um, So we're not, we're not doing one or the other. And that's the reason why I love using hot towels in the clinic. And that's the reason why I've got multiple towel warmers and a lot of towels for people. And I switch them out all the time to keep it warm. It's yes. It makes people feel comfortable to have a warm towel on them, but it's a hundred degrees here in California. They don't need the warm towel. I'll keep my clinic nice and toasty, but it is bringing, it is helping FSM because it's warm and it's vascularized and we're bringing good energy and good blood flow to an injured site. It's not about inflammation. And the, the other thing that FSM does in conventional medical wound healing, I'm not sure about tendons, but conventional medical wound healing, I talked to a wound care physician. It had to be in the early 2000s. And I wanted him to do a study on FSM and wound care. And he said, well, what does FSM do? I said, it reduces inflammation and it increases ATP. And he said, just stop right there. Because the science says that the natural progression of wound healing is inflammation goes up and that and the tissue disruption cause ATP to go down. And I said, yes, but we are doubling or tripling the rate of healing by reducing inflammation and increasing ATP with just the current. That doesn't even take into account what we do with 124. And I, we weren't even at 124 in 2000 when I saw this guy and he was just like, he couldn't go there. And I said, I just need to do the study bunnies, people, I don't care. Give me five people. I'll do, I'll do a pilot for you. Nope. Wouldn't talk. So the fact that we increase ATP reduce inflammation by either treating the inflammation itself or treating the cause of the inflammation, which in the case of my shoulder is 124, torn and broken. The only reason it's inflamed is that it's torn and broken. Right. And that's, I need everybody that's listening, I need you to come with me through cellular genetics. Are we ready? Okay. So there's this little receptor on the outside of the cell. And it's connected to kinases that are connected to something else that's connected to the DNA that's connected to the messenger RNA that's connected to the microRNA, which is what makes the cell produce whatever it's going to produce, whether it's bile or inflammatory peptides. Okay. So this little receptor senses tissue fragments. So... PAMPs or pathogen-associated molecular patterns and DAMPs, damage-associated molecular patterns. Damage-associated molecular patterns are tissue fragments. So the tissue gets torn, tissue fragments floats by, lands on the receptor, the receptor changes its configuration, changes the kinases that change the whatever is next on that list that changes the DNA that changes the messenger RNA that changes the micro RNA and that creates inflammation and inflammation in the form of CGRP interleukin one and substance P. Okay. And every, this is the, Every cell in the body has that same capacity. And that's, so you, 
So treating the inflammation kind of doesn't make any sense because you're treating the end product, not the cause. Right. Why? So pathogen associated, that's why somebody has belly pain and what they have is appendicitis. The way you know that is you treat inflammation in the appendix and the pain goes up. You treat infection in the appendix, the pain goes down and you tell your person that you're treating, uh, you need to go to urgent care because you have appendicitis. How do you know that? Right. And same thing with the shoulder. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, pain, pain is there for a reason, right? It, it alerts us that there's a problem. And if we are just throwing ice to numb something, there is, that is wrong, people. <laughs> well, tell us what you really think, Kim. <laughs> I'm hanging out with you too many Wednesdays because now I'm, now I'm getting a lot more, I used to be a lot more Canadian about my approaches, but I do feel very strongly about using heat. Obviously we're not throwing ice away for everything, but even post-surgical, um, I went toe to toe with my daughter who had ACL. I had one of my daughters had ankle surgery last year. She had a, um, a fusion and, um, her, her talus and, they wanted to put ice on her in uh PACU. I said, no, you're going to put this machine on her instead. Thank you. And they listened to me. Um, same with the, wow. I, I might look cute, but I can be, you know, when it comes to my children, I get a little mama bear. Um, even my daughter with her knee um, with ACL surgery, no ice. We just used FSM um, and heated up the quad and the hamstring that had um, it was a semi-tendinosis um, reconstruction. So that hamstring isn't inflamed. It was literally the semi-tendinosis was torn. They drilled into a bone. Yes, it's inflamed, but because there was all the torn and broken in the surgery. It makes me so happy. It's like, I see, like, now I don't feel so bad about how excited I get because it's like, oh, look, Kim did that. Yay. Right. So um, there's a reason why both of my kids are, you know, we're not out of the woods yet with the ACL, but um, she's far ahead. And um, I'm not just going to blame it because of ice, but, you know, I have one speaking of knees, right? So lateral thinking patient had knee surgery. Now he has hip pain and he points and they say he has trochanteric bursitis in the same leg that that's a good face in the same leg that he had the knee surgery in and he he grabs the wad that is the um glute minor and the attachment of the piriformis and at the at the trochanter right and then he grabs the muscle wad and he said that's what hurts and i went they've been treating the bursa and it didn't help and i said do they think that trochanteric bursitis comes from space so he had knee surgery right so understanding the process of how what they do in the OR if you have knee surgery. Um, the first thing they did was inexcusable. They, they did a femoral nerve block without putting him out. That's a good face. Um, he was awake for it. And, um, and I said, okay, well, then there's bleeding. He said, no, they just did it to the nerve. It's like, if you, it's nerve artery, vein, lymph, and the femoral artery at that point is about the size of your index finger. And the femoral nerve is a little bit smaller, but it's right next. And it's real easy to have the artery just right under the nerve. And all you have to do is nick the artery and you've got a little bit of whatever. So, um, but before I did that, I just reached up and grabbed his adductor, um, the little short one, brevis, 
and the pectineus. I just reached up and went into the femoral space and grabbed those muscles. And he went, ow. I said, yeah, that's what's wrong with your hip. And he said, excuse me. So this is without even looking at the mechanics of what they did to his knee. It was the, the adhesions in the femoral nerve cleared down to his knee all through the quads, right? Cause internal rotation in the femur because is your cerebellum going to let you externally rotate something that's scarred to the femoral nerve and the femoral artery? Why would you do that? Right. So this nice, I look nice, don't I? I do, I look nice. I look like a night. No, not so much. I went, eh. and, and I said, because your femur is internally rotated, your piriformis and those external rotators are about, are operating at about three inches longer than they should be. So they're pulling harder on the trochanter and hence the trochanteric bursitis that you have been diagnosed with. And it's like, no, they don't think of it the way we do because they don't have a way to treat it. Right. It's just like, and he said, well, what are we going to do? And it's like, well, duh, just here, wrap a towel around his back, put a washcloth in his brevis, and then treat for scarring in the nerve and the artery and clear down to his knee and then treating the bursitis and with the second machine, um, treat torn and broken in the connective tissue because part of the pain in his hip is because the piriformis has tendonitis. Right. And why does the piriformis have tendonitis? Everybody raise your hand. Come on. There's no chocolate that I can throw, but the piriformis has tendonitis because it's three inches longer than it should be. And it's a mechanical disadvantage in having to work twice as hard. So that spot hurts and the bursa is inflamed because the tendon is working too hard and getting little teeny tears in it every day. Right. So that was. And this isn't rocket science. Like this isn't, this is just simple kinesiology biomechanics. Well, in our world, it is who on earth would think of working on the diagnosis, he's had PTs and even an FSM practitioner treating the bursa. I failed. And it's like, okay, so now that everybody that watches this now knows, think about what goes on. I wanna make a parallel to a shoulder really okay. quick um, because it's the same, but not. So, when you have something like, I don't want to say frozen shoulder, because I think that term is just really like thrown around for any clinician that can't figure out why someone's shoulder isn't moving properly. What well, was six tendons torn, partial thickness tears, thank God. I keep externally rotating my shoulder because the most common cause of frozen shoulder, besides just random whatever, is partial thickness tendon tears. They right. create inflammation and then they stop moving it and then there they go. So either before or after this okay. happens, I'm, I, I want to make a parallel. We, how many times do you have a patient come in and they're pointing to this part of their shoulder is sore and they're pointing to those of you who are just listening to their glenohumeral joint itself. And the first thing I do is I do my upper extremity test where I'm getting them to touch the backs of their hands up over top of their head, all my range of motion. And I'm standing behind them because I care what the scapula looks like. I don't care how their arms get to the top or if they get to the top, I'm going to make a note. But if the scapulas are not upwardly rotating for every three degrees that you can abduct your glenohumeral joint, your scapula has to upwardly rotate on the thoracic cage one degree. There's a three to one ratio. I've seen it a four to one in some textbooks, but this is necessary for abduction. The shoulder blade must rotate three to one ratio. If the scapula is stuck or the mechanics look to borrow your word, cattywampus on the way up there, you know, you have to start 
at the scapula. You have to look at the scapulohumeral rhythm, which starts on the rib cage. If the subscap is stuck, if a nerve is adhered, there is no way anyway. we can't beep bleep anything but you know what i'm saying there is no way your arm is going to be able to float up and what happens when it's stuck is these little teeny tiny shoulder muscles like your anterior delt your supraspinatus have to work 97 percent harder and of course they're going to get fatigued of course they're going to get torn of course this is going to set off a whole cascade and I need tranquilizers today. Like this I, is emotional. Like no, this is emotional. I've, for me. I've got some, but I can't. Yeah. I'll so and I don't even know that stuff. And the first thing I do with any shoulder injury is put my thumb in somebody's armpit and release the subscapular nerve. And now it's you know like, why you do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like now I know why I do it. I, I, that'll fall out of my brain. And that is why I'm getting on a plane and I'm flying down to see you on Friday. So the nice lady up here said, well, have you seen a PT? It's like, yeah, there's mm -mm, no, there's only one person that's going to touch the shoulder. So we get to have fun. It'll be cool. We get to have fun and watch your thoracic, your scapulohumeral rhythm. Oh, you don't even be... want to see it. Oh, I do. I oh, do, I do, I do, I do. Like, all right. So okay. we have a whole other um, set of stuff we're going to chat about today, but let's get to some questions because the people that um, come here live, come here live to ask questions. So I'm going to go to Leaf really first though, because Leaf just sprained his ankle on Saturday. So this was a great timing for you. You're not going to ice it. Sorry about your ankle life. You're going to throw heat on those muscle bellies and you're going to elevate it. Elevate it. And you're going to keep moving it. And with your, whatever machine you have, you're going to run 124 and 100 and 124 and the thing is there's no way most of them are inversion sprains and there's no way to sprain an ankle without doing 124 and 191 torn and broken in the round tendons that come around under the lateral malleolus uh get out your copy of netter and look at the outside part of the ankle right the Sorry. The other one thing I want to forget when we had um, Peter twist on here, he came a bit late. So I did a little webinar on my sprained ankle. I had my slides up and people were asking me if I can redo it. I'm going to just record it myself and I'm going to pop it like somewhere. I'm going to give it to Kevin so that you guys can see some of the slides, but my favorite part leaf for sprained ankles to get the movement and the elevation and the traction and the heat all in one happy little package is elevate your foot, put something underneath your calf, make that something underneath your calf, like a pillow or a rolled up towel, make it hot, like a hot face cloth. You can clip your FSM onto it that way and draw the alphabet with your toes. So capital A, B, C, that way you're getting the traction, the movement, the heat and the elevation all in one, just do the alphabet. And most of us get bored about the time you get to F or G and then you can go back to A. You don't really don't have to try and do R and S and T. And spell your name. But, you know, the, the fact of the matter is doing doing letters incorporates, you know, flexion, extension, circumduction, all the things that you can do with your ankle. So that's why I love that. Um, wow. Cynthia has got like three questions on here. So. Um, glad you've been finding it helpful. Go to the middle one because it's faster. Is there a program on the custom care that targets ovarian cysts? Yes. Is? Yeah. It's it, in the mode bank. I think just actually it's is. called ovarian cysts. Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> okay. Um, client came in today four weeks post-op from a compound wrist fracture with pins and such casted to mid-arm. Will the FX program, I guess fracture program or any other with FSM get us any bang for his buck or shall we till it casts off? No, you no, you work around the cast. You use the stickies, you use like we're we're running FSM minutes after surgery with casts. So no, don't wait. This where, is where you want to work. This is her middle question, I think, or her second oh, question. Oh, there it is. Four weeks post out from a compound is casted to miss. Don't wait till the cast is off. You, you can't, you have to do it now. And you have to treat acute fracture. Yes. So the, just because it's four weeks post, it's like, mm -hmm, 
it's acute fracture, especially if there's pins, especially if it's compound wrist, that's gonna be icky and ugly. Um, acute fracture, and then afterwards, you, you really, Cynthia, it's get, get your precision care sooner rather than later. Um, and because with the wrist to get the motion, once the pins are out, to get the motion back, you have to treat adhesions um, in all of the tendons and the soft tissue and the nerves in the wrist. Oh, right. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. All the way up the forearm. Okay. Um, I'm all over the place here. I, I should have just started at the top. Sorry. Okay. Um, okay. So the very first question we have here, webinars are incredible, helpful. Great. Been using FSM on post liposuction patients and using soft tissue acute on my custom care. Hope to buy precision care next month. Is that the best choice? Several patients get sort of soft tissue rocks about two weeks post. I have a client who's five weeks post and there's three weeks to her daughter's wedding. And he thought how to address the soft tissue besides 13, um, 91 it doesn't so inflammate just before you get to 13 and and rocks what are rocks rocks are hard they're indurated that means calcium so inflammation leads to chronic inflammation and then the iron that's in the bruising and the inflammation brings in calcium and then that leads to scarring that leads to sclerosis so the progression you're seeing is absolutely inflammation leads to leads to and so calcium and scarring and probably sclerosis in the adipose so if you think about adipose as vascularized immune active uh, held together with connective tissue so sclerosis in the adipose and scarring in the connective tissue and after liposuction, oh, I wish it was so simple. After liposuction, you have to think about torn and broken in the connective tissue and sclerosis in the adipose, depending on where you are on the timeline. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, I, I might add 49-142. I love using increasing the vitality of the fascia um, after stuff like that. And I, It can feel and, really good. And increased secretions. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. I beat Ben, speaking of 49, I beat Ben Catholi's record. Yeah, I know. You have to tell everybody. Um, yeah, it's coming. Okay. Um, I'm going to jump again in the middle. Rhonda asks, are you running torn and broken in the nerve while you release subscapular nerve? No, oh. it's scarred. It's stuck. It's first you reduce, actually you can use two machines at once. I found yeah. out um, you run inflammation in the nerve because the first time you put your fingers in somebody's axilla, they go, Ow! and the muscles put up. <laughs> then you go, then you run inflammation in the nerve. And then you press in harder than you were pressing before. And they said, that doesn't hurt. Are you pushing as hard? Right. I never don't push as hard. I <laughs> then, um, then you start running scarring in the nerve and release the subscap. And the same guy that had the hip pain also had shoulder stuff. And that's what I did. It's just, and that's when I found the two tell thing. Yep. So that was pretty fun. Oh, and in Philadelphia, so cool. It's the first time ever I've done this in the practicum weekends. We did the supine cervical practicum in, instead of doing demos, we did the supine cervical practicum three times in one day so that we have enough tables. So every table has three people. And the supine cervical practicum, now that we have rules in place, so there are no scrubby circles on the baroreceptors, supine cervical practicum is the money shot. If that is the only thing you learn to do with FSM, supine cervical practicum it's it is the place where you learn that the frequencies do only what they are alleged to do and exactly what they are alleged to do right upper trap torn and broken and the light bulbs that went off what were just astounding 
it was just so wicked cool. Mm-hmm. And I already talked about that last week. I think so. And we talked about it. I can't remember if we were just so by ourselves or if we had the audience. <laughs> I have five second satellite delay. Um, okay, go. Um, I want to get through these questions. So Leaf just said, been doing all that ran extremity joint sprain protocol, but that has a lot of 40 in it. So need to adjust the protocol, I guess. Oh yeah. That was see the, the custom care protocols were written a long time ago before I knew what I know now and they all have to be rewritten, but then I have time, have to have time to go in and rewrite them. And then, um, then the nice thing with the 3.0 software is the next time you turn it on, the updates will all be pushed out and your software will update. So it's just really a matter of me having a f- time. September, October, sometime. I have three days in London. We're going to London, by the way. Yes. Still, still not sure about Ireland because NTC is not sure about whatever. Um, right. But I'll, ha- I'll have time in between the corn advance in London where I can maybe maybe get after that. That'll Perfect. But in the meantime, it's so easy to tinker with that stuff on the mode bank. You can fix it yourself. Yes. Um, um, okay. Hello. This person has cervical stenosis. See five, six, seven with disc osteophyte, disc protrusion, core compression for one and a half years, has neck pain, about a four out of 10 arm pain, five out of 10 tingling fingers, six out of 10, but wants to avoid fusion. Of course you do. Um, and laminoplasty surgery. She used, or he used disc nerve or sorry, nerve disc joint protocols, six hours a day for two weeks with not much improvement. Is FSM a viable treatment for the pain and tingling? Can we get some recommendations? Okay. So, um, so Julian, the first thing I want you, the first thing I want you to do is reach down and feel your, um, adductor brevis and your pectineus and see if they're tight. That's the first thing, because you want to find out is 40 and 10 a thing or is 81 and 10 a thing? So are, are you having lower extremity tightness because that stenosis is pressing on the central part of the cord and are you losing and descending inhibition? That's the first thing. Um, the challenge that we have is what you need to be running is neck pain, which includes facets, discs. The arm pain is just... 40 and 396, reducing inflammation in the nerve. The problem that exists with stenosis is it's calcification of the disc annulus and it's bone spurs. So what they're talking about doing is unroofing. So a laminectomy takes the bone spurs off the outside, doesn't do anything for the calcification in the disc that's pushing on the cord from the front another conversation and the bone spurs. So if if the stenosis is from the facets from the back, FSM alone is not enough to fix that. So you can run, remove calcium and even 217 ankylosis from the periosteum and the connective tissue, but in order to reabsorb bone spurs, you have to get it to move. And because the joint is so inflamed and degenerated, cerebellum is not going to let you move the little muscles. The multivitae and the rotatories are the little teeny muscles right at the joint. And they're like, I'm not moving. You're moving, I'm not going to move. Cerebellum says, you guys are not going to move because that joint is inflamed. So the big muscles move and the little muscles don't, but the little muscles get really, really tight. And that's where the bone spurs come from. So the, the luck that I have had professionally comes from these physical therapists that I work with that showed me how to exercise the multifidi and the rotatories and they only fire in the first five to 10 degrees of motion. So you run FSM, but 
somehow we have, uh, that was the other thing that we got to do during the practicum was I got to show the exercise portion of the rehab, Mm -hmm. getting them to do that. So Julian, good news and bad news. You can reduce the symptoms. You're not going to be able to do the osteophytes. And unless you can find a physical therapist that's trained the right way, um, there are, there is a point at which the stenosis becomes dangerous. So um, don't wait till you're ataxic. Check your adductors. Do 81 and 10. Increase secretion, descending inhibition in the cord to relax your leg muscles. And... Um, if you have to, inter- okay, listen, listen up, folks. You ready? All right. You are the one that is paying the surgeon. He works for you. He is your employee. You do not hire employees without interviewing them. You go and talk to orthopedic surgeons and neurosurgeons because there are spinal cord and bone both involved. And I interviewed three of them, all of whom I'd worked with. And I picked the one that would look me in the eye, had a good sense of humor and knew how to talk. That is rare in a competent surgeon. You have to have a surgeon that you can trust and talk to. And the way Kim won the argument with the two surgeons You have to be able to do that. And you do that by doing your homework and and then picking someone that you trust just because somebody says he's the best guy, but he's a jerk. It's like, I'm sorry, when I had my hips done, my requirement was to my GP, I need a good orthopedic hip surgeon that's not a jerk and there was one in town and he's now retired oh i love that sorry so i could go i could go either way it's like sometimes it's just dangerous not to do surgery yes right and and then you do post-op i was gonna say and then it's it's not like there's never a time where we can't help Right. And, um, it's not, it's, it's the best adjunct you have because you can work it in any situation so safely. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, Oh, Julian wrote, talked with seven neurosurgeons, liked one in Florida, but still trying to avoid the surgery. Yes. I've been doing chiropractic and acupuncture for over a year. No, 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 no. Unless the, no. Oh, no. Oh dear. Okay. (laughs) This is the part where I, be, I become the chiropractic heretic. Um, if you have spinal stenosis, unless the chiropractor is using an activator, um, if when you have spinal stenosis, it's bony, chiropractors lock the joint and rotate it. If you have a bony impingement on the spinal cord, you're Every time you do that, you have the potential of injuring spinal cord long tracks. So once my disc herniation got big enough that it was pressing on the cord, I'm not allowed to do traction. I wasn't allowed to do traction because you you press on the cord and then you traction it and you damage the motor path, you damage the pathways. Oops. So no. Just no, and and once the chiropractor, oh, I'm so proud, yay! Okay, once the chiropractor knew I had stenosis, she stopped doing adjustments on my neck. Um, you can give her a piece of chocolate for me. Thank you very much. We have ten minutes, and I have to tell the I know eight, eight machine. We have seven minutes. Yes, and the eight machine story. Yes, you do. Okay. I'm, the history took three hours. So you're going to get the abbreviated version and I'm watching the clock. This patient was born at 27 weeks because when they went in to do the amniocentesis, 
the kids zigged and the needle sagged and they hit her in the heart with it. So, okay, sorry, I just made Kevin sort of green. I heard <laughs> I when Kevin's got a, oh, <laughs> so um, emergency C-section, 27 weeks. And then she had, um, she said, I have hearing, hearing loss. They said either because of the antibiotics or something else. And I said, it's the antibiotics. And she said, how do you know? I said, because they had to use genomycin or vancomycin. She said, how do you know? And I said, because those are the only two antibiotics. If they mention antibiotics and hearing loss in the same sentence or paragraph, they use genomycin or vancomycin. So the hearing loss, she has hearing aids, same kind I do. And then she had saccadic pursuit with her eyes and she saw the nice chiropractor brain guy that stopped the saccades. But um, anyway, so I had her fill out the brain, uh, brain injury visual system symptom questionnaire with 18, where a score of 18 is predictive. Her score was 42. So that's all I had to tell Dr. Reski. And I swear to God, she went to somebody else in his office who sent her to um, this vision therapy. And I went, did that make you sick? She said, no, but it didn't work. So I stopped. It's like, that's a good idea. Cause anyway, so there was that. And she said, and I have Ehlers-Danlos. Okay. And my shoulders really hurt. Okay. And I have this numb spot at T, right across her chest, T4 and T5. And I have lumbar discs. So she had great imaging every place except the thoracics. And I went, okay. And oh, by the way, her pituitary is sort of missing. So she's on hormones are totally outside my pay grade. So the eight machines are 124 and 77 torn Arrows Danlos, torn and broken in the connective tissue, neck to feet. And oh, by the way, when she lays flat, oh, and she has a tethered cord. Okay, when she lays flat for any length of time, even with a roll under her knees, then she can't move her legs. And that's the tethered cord. So uh, Arrows Danlos was first. Then she has all these vagal symptoms with go with the arrows down those. So then we treated concussion in Vegas. And then she uh, was numb at five, four, five, and six on the right, and four and five on the left. Hence the shoulder pain because she was numb. So basically she had nerve pain for two or three years and then she had phantom limb pain in her shoulders, really horrible at night. Level nine would wake her up, blah, blah, blah. So we just treated the nerve, got the nerves normal. That was fun. Treated disc back to front on an auto care. I just kept running disc subacute, lumbar spine to legs and, and abdomen. So ran the disc back to front across her low back and then had another machine low back to feet to treat the nerves because L3, 4, 5, S1 and S2 were numb and they went from numb to hypersensitive to normal. And um, at the end of, I, I've never, spent six, it's been a really long time since I spent six hours with the patient on, especially when I had eight machines running at one time, but there'd be this, I'm sorry about the flight. Um, there's, then there'd be this, oh, I have this. It's like, oh, I can fix that. So then another machine would come out and pretty soon there were just wires everywhere. And at the end of it, the Ehlers Danlos, she went from 90 degrees to 60 and she went, what? And then, oh yeah. And then I did one machine on 40 and 89 because of all the birth trauma and ran concussion in Vegas like three times. And then, so the others down this at the, in the beginning, one of the bait and signs is you bend over and you lay your hands flat on the floor 
Well, she showed off and laid not just the palms of her hands on the floor, she laid the backs of her hands flat on the floor. Wow. So at the end of four hours of 124 and 77, the arrows down this thing, um, she couldn't touch the floor. She was three inches short. And so, and all the nerves were normal. Um, she was no longer anxious or de depressed. Uh, oh, and then, then we treated the tethered cord with scarring in the dura yes. and scarring in the cord. But when I had, when I treated scarring in the dura and moved her knees, she said, oh, that hurts in the middle of my head. And I went, oh, okay. So we did scarring in the dura and had her take a breath, <gasps> blow. About the third time, the dura in her brain sort of, and then her sphenoid like did not move at all. And she said, it's, it hurts here when you bend my knee. And I said, you understand that's not normal, right? Okay. So, oh, that was the other thing. One more thing. Can you stand it? No. Yes, of course. Okay. All right. So, um, so we did craniosacral, almost osteopathic, because this has been glued since she was born. Yep. And we did, um, we did bend the knees with scarring on the dura while I just reefed on her sphenoid and pulled on her ears and then that that let go and then i okay so um she developed sexually normally pubic hair breasts menses all of that was normal from birth right mm -hmm. and now the cella is empty like her pituitary disappeared when she was in her twenties oh. and um, they didn't, it came from space. <laughs> it's like, anyway, so she's on all the hormones. There was another thing I was going to say. Um, I'll remember it after we're off, but it was, it was just like, and then the next day I treated the thoracic nerves, the thoracic disc, redid her cervical spine and reprogrammed her custom care. So that was, she bought a used one from somebody right. who failed to mention that the thing is more than 10 years old and can't be repaired and charged her $800 for it. Ew, that's icky. Well, the person that sold it to her is kind of icky too. So that makes perfect sense. That's not cool. No, um, it was not cool, but I'm just, excited um it's she's it's she's just adorable oh my gosh can we please video the session with you treating dr carol maybe not sure about the cameraman thing i and mean I've, I've got enough still recording stuff i could set up we'll do some pictures some video i always do some video with patients before and after so they can see themselves and then i have to borrow it for a case study so just I we just should be like, able to do it you can shoot it on our iphones i just like showing off my range of motion thank you oh this actually hurts here that's that bony thing that they yeah but it'll be okay we'll have fun okay i've got two things here okay. i've got a quote and i have an announcement okay what do you want first announcement the announcement is um, because these podcasts have been such a um, favorable event, I've been doing some interviews, not live because the strength coaches that I want to and the trainers and the PTs that I love talking to are very busy right now because it's the off season and training camp for hockey and football. So I will be with the help of Kevin <laughs> posting these very shortly. We did an hour long interview with Dr. Charlie Weingroff um, the other day. Hi, Charlie. Um, he's always so um, raw and unfiltered and fun to talk to. Uh -huh. And um, I did a, a great interview with Mark Fitzgerald, who's another trainer up in Canada. Um, so 
for the sports-minded people, I think you'll find a lot of value. These um, Mark Fitzgerald does not use FSM, just like Peter Twist, um, but just bringing some like really innovative ways of thinking about training and muscles and all that stuff that we could use as an adjunct in your practice. Well, the other nice thing is when you interview them, you have the opportunity to infect them with the idea about maybe you might consider. Yes, and they a lot of these guys just know me as like what I do. So they're, they're very intrigued and respectful of it. So that's the announcement. So they, these will be um, populated on the YouTube channel um, and on our podcast recordings. Is there any, any chance you can get your hands on Mark Lindsay? Yeah. Yay. Okay. That's how I'm going to answer it. I haven't seen him since 2003. He's like a unicorn. He is. There's not, he doesn't really exist. Right. <laughs> oh, no, he does. Mythical. Yeah. Okay, here's my here's my very profound quote for the day. Okay. A bird sitting on a tree is never afraid of the branch breaking because its trust is not in the branch, but in its own wings. Oh, I like that. That's so, okay. A kind of it's a very kind of deep one, but it kind of builds on the hope lives here sort of um t-shirt thing that we started with right it's it's your own it's the hope and the trust within yourself to overcome the external stuff well you take someone who has been more and more debilitated over her life she has lipidemia oh that was the other thing we treated was lipidema okay Uh, and that and we reduced the size of her calves by three centimeters so that was pretty cool um but you take someone who has spent their entire life debilitated and in pain and having difficulty and one thing after another, swear to God, she was not diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos until she was 28 or 30. No. And, and um, to, to have two sessions with her and have her leave with a glow on her face and a sparkle in her eye and pain-free and better posture and hope. It, there's never, never any certainty, but hope lives here. Yes. So it's like trust for the practitioner, trust your wings. Yes. Keep, yeah. And, and, and for the patient, right? Trust the process and trust your body. Wants to heal, wants to do what's right. Read the quote again, please. Okay, I know it's such a good one. A bird sitting on a tree is never afraid of the branch breaking because its trust is not in the branch, but in its own wings. Okay, let there be wings. Right? Yeah. All right, this was again, fastest hour that I get to do all week long. Yeah, love it every time. Yes. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you all next week. See you next week. Bye. The Frequency Specific Microcurrent Podcast has been produced by Frequency Specific Seminars for entertainment, educational, and information purposes only. The information and opinion provided in the podcast are not medical advice, do not create any type of doctor-patient relationship, and unless expressly stated, do not reflect the opinions of its affiliates, subsidiaries, or sponsors, or the hosts, or any of the podcast guests or affiliated professional organizations. No person should act or refrain from acting on the basis of the content provided in any podcast without first seeking appropriate medical advice and counseling. No information provided in any podcast should be used as a substitute for personalized medical advice and counseling. FSS expressly disclaims any and all liability relating to any actions taken or not taken based on or any contents of this podcast.